0: On this week's episode of Film Rhapsody, I sat Russell down with his mentor Corel Seegers for a one-on-one chat about writing, storytelling, and everything in between. After years working as a story consultant, Corel has toured and lectured around the world, founding immersion screenwriting and spearheading the Accelerator pod that brought Russell and I together. He has played a pivotal role in helping writers take their writing to the next level and just this year he played an important part in bringing the feature Danger Close to the cinemas.
1: Hello, Russell. Well, thank you for for taking the time to come in here. I guess where we should start is you telling everyone else a little about who you are.
2: Well, you know, it all started a long time ago in Belgium. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's where I was born. I wrote my first produced script when I was at high school. Uh, no, no, not high school, primary school. Really? I was like 17, I think it was 16 or 17 years old. Wow. And there was a TV show for, for youth, uh, and it was a bit rebellious, and, and uh, it was my absolute favorite show. And they uh, invited uh, viewers to send in scripts, and I sent in a whole batch, like uh, literally like 20 ideas. You know, it was a comedy show and um, yeah, I got a letter back and I was like over the moon, like there yeah. was a national television, you know, I got a letter with the, the logo which was the listening ears, yep. the old Belgian radio and television thing and um... So yeah, they filmed it and uh, I, I got the afternoon off and my brother and sister were in it as well. And you can watch it on, on YouTube. If you can spell De winkel Detective, then yeah. you'll find <laughs> the, the the clip. It's about uh, like a two, three minutes. Uh,
1: Was that your first paid scheme? Yeah, gig? yeah,
2: yeah. I, I got paid. I, c- I could choose between either a Casio mini synthesizer or <laughs> 4,000 Belgian francs and um I knew um, I knew where my career was heading, so I, I opted for the money.
1: You can buy many Casio uh, recorders, I imagine. Exactly, exactly.
2: Well, and and, and I was, to be honest, you know, I was into synthesizers, and at the time, you know, I aimed slightly higher than the Casio. Mm. And <laughs> I was into Korg and and, yeah. and Oberheim and that sort of stuff.
1: Oh, definitely, the good brands, yeah. 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 Did that um, lead to, to, to more stuff with them, or was that just sort of a one off? Not
2: really. It was a one off. You know, I have this, <laughs> this thing. I got to get things out of my system. And so at mm-hmm. some point, I wanted to do a, a movie score a soundtrack. In 1995, I gave myself 10 years to do it, and I did it in 2005. Oh, fantastic. So I do that sort of stuff.
1: What movie was that for?
2: Um, that was for a uh, feature called Puppy. Here in the, in Australia, b- a, a Melbourne-based writer-director called Kieran Galvin. And that became the first ever Australian film to be released on Blu-ray. Wow, I
1: not yeah. know that. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm. So, fr- from then on, you went um, to work both in radio and TV behind the scenes mm-hmm. and on the air. mm
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, So, can you tell us a bit about that? A bit about that?
2: Well, uh, I had always been uh, enamored with radio. I was, a, was totally obsessed. I knew everything about radio and... Um, um, i did some you know holiday work for the local radio station and um, it was 1988 I, I got into the national national radio and um, and at some point i was the youngest producer i don't know whether it was 88 or, or Few years later, but anyway, then I moved to Brussels to Brussels production center, and I basically did everything you can imagine about radio. You know, from yeah. from journalism to uh, music selection to production presenting. I, do, I did uh, a radio documentary at some point. You name it, I've done it all, and I, I loved it. But at some point, you know, there's this moment I was giving directions to someone uh, as I was producing a show. And I had these you know, shivers going down my spine. I realized that I was giving directions to my childhood idol. Ooh. And that was kind of wrong. It didn't feel right. I said, yeah. that was the time to, for me to get out of it. Because you know I'd done everything and achieved what I could achieve. Had a great time. Got out of radio just in time. Because it, after that, it changed completely. It, it became a marketing-driven um, yeah. business. And um, that's when I went into TV for a short mm-hmm. while. Um, uh, film net which was uh, uh, pay tv and i was involved in uh, selecting acquiring and programming um, independent films did that for a few years in belgium holland and then later um, in london and i came to australia in 2001
1: did you have any training before that or was it so, so these face of falling into and then learning on the job
2: well, I, I did uh, something called uh, Germanic philology. It's mm-hmm. a linguistics and literature um, uh, university degree. And it turned out that most people who were working in radio and television had that degree, so, yeah. <laughs> so I, I needed that. Um, never really used it. Um, cause so that, that's sort of, the, I
1: guess, the area of Europe that... It's all Germanic-based in languages, isn't it?
2: Yeah, well, it, Germanic uh, languages are English, German, Dutch, uh, and, and indo germanic languages are Swedish and Norwegian. Uh, so, does that Finnish. give you like
1: a, a better understanding of those languages because you have that sort of um, education?
2: Mm, I wouldn't say so. I wouldn't say living in Europe helps. Yeah. Well, actually, I just realized that uh, I made a mistake. I said that I, m- I, I mentioned Finnish in that group, and if any linguist is listening, the, they would go like, no. That's not true. The Cause, cause f- <laughs> Finnish is not part of the same group. Th- they're in together with Hungarian. They yeah. have this mini group of totally impenetrable, very difficult languages. Is,
1: is Finland or, or Hungary the, the? I vaguely remember hearing something about how one country has something like a, a hundred different dialects. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah,
2: I can count to three in Finnish. Do you want me to do that? Go for it. Uksi, kaksi, kolme. It's awesome.
1: I, I, I can say some things in in Greek, but. You know, nothing that we can air. Um, <laughs> always learn the swear. I, I can say
2: something in ancient Greek. Go for it? You've got a European here, so you, I think you've got, you got to milk me for languages now, right? Please, please.
1: Please <laughs> teach me the swears. All
2: right, ancient Greek. Here we go. Right, right. And it's true, too.
1: And
2: that's
1: all compliments? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so um, from, from then on, you started uh, consulting and storytelling. Was that, uh, was that something you fell into or something you sought out?
2: Well, I wanted to produce. I uh, came to Australia, wanted to be creative in film, actually wanted to set up a produc- production company. I did so. Aussie Films still yep. exists. Um, but I learned the hard way that Australia is not really the most producer-friendly place on the planet. Yeah. And um, uh, so that didn't last very long. Uh, and, I, I mean, more recently I actually realized that situations – even far worse than I, I thought at right. the time, but you know, at the same time, I was trying to avoid following all my uh, family uh, and relatives uh, who were teachers. Yeah, and my grand grandfather was a teacher. Well, both my grandfathers were, were teachers. My mother was a teacher, and I got like a whole bunch of aunties who were teachers. Um, so, <laughs> so you ended up taking I sort of a roundabout way. Exactly, to exactly. At some point, I realized that instead of telling writers who wanted to get their stuff produced, I was telling them, you know, how I believed their scripts could be better. I kept repeating that uh, to more and more people, and at some point, it just made a lot of sense to, to get them all into one room. Yeah. Before I knew, I was I was actually lecturing.
1: So h- how, did you, um, how, how did you basically learn those skills? Is, is that something that you just sort of acquired out of experience?
2: Well, I, you know, when I was acquiring films, I was watching a whole... I mean, I went into these film markets and uh, film festivals and I'd watched like 50, 55 films in a week. And, and that's when you start seeing patterns. Mm-hmm. Around the same time, I started devouring the most common screenwriting books, you know, Robert McKee, Um, John Truby Michael Haig Christopher Vogler um, not sure if uh, Blake Snyder was around at the time but Linda Seeger surely was Um, so I I read all those books and basically distilled what I thought made sense because I'm, I'm. I have a little bit of an academic mind. I always mm-hmm. ask why. Yeah. And and I mean, these days, I'm usually very frustrated when I read screenwriting books because either they're just rehashing the same thing or they're just plain lying. Right. There's one, and I won't mention which it is. Uh, recently, uh, started reading is quite a popular book, and it's just <laughs> hogwash. <laughs> it's is just it's such su- such totally unuseless, advice. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, useless stuff. So. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of tried to reinvent the wheel, which was not always the most uh, you know, effective or at least profitable way to go about mm. it. But uh, I'm, you know, I'm kind of proud to say that th- I found a few new angles yeah. that I think are useful for for screenwriters. And I mean, you're probably aware of what I'm talking oh, about. Oh yeah, totally. Right. Yeah, you know, like point of view, midpoint reversal. Yeah, uh, that's that sort of thing. Talking about uh, events, actions, and characters. And that in that respect
1: did you ever try to uh, i know you have some uh literature out there did you ever try to like join those those books and, and sort of corner the market and this is the, w- yeah, the right way know, to do it
2: I, I on average you know uh, twice every month people ask me where's my book and yeah. i should write my book and um i have i've started uh, putting it together structurally but i don't know whether it ever be there we'll see because it's a it's a it's gargantuan undertaking to write a good book and when i you know when i will i said one i didn't say if If when i write that book it'll be a good book and and it'll take a lot of time so um i have would you
1: maybe write uh, versions for like this is how to write a drama this is a comedy genre like different (laughs) angles on how to how to do it
2: possibly there, there 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 are differences but i don't i'm not an expert in each of these genres so um, mm-hmm. although i may put footnotes per genre i don't think i'm going to go into detail for
1: each writer right yeah. um I, I guess one thing i, I want to f- find out is like i i feel like i've always been a writer it just took me as long as it took to get where i am now i guess the question would be can writing be learned or is it something you need to be born with
2: yeah that's a that's a question always i mean often comes back i think everybody is a writer to some degree some people have to work harder than others um, and i think you you, you kind of know whether you're a writer or not mm. i think if you have that unquenchable desire to to get a story out i guess then you're a writer that <laughs> nagging little voice in the yeah, back of your head exactly yeah. but not everybody has you know this is born with the skills. And I think that there are skills that you can learn. I'm absolutely sure of that. And if you listen to some of the greatest contemporary screenwriters, they will admit that. You know, if you listen to an Aaron Sorkin, he learned what he knows from listening to plays. He, yeah. he listened to more than a thousand plays. And it's just, you know, it's, it's osmosis. I mean, you, you're familiar with uh, that uh, screenwriting course I've got online. It's called immersion It works by osmosis. I really believe that the, the core skills you need to to execute the script on the page you can learn. Yeah. Uh, so if you have, if you feel the inspiration and the desire, that's one thing, but you still need to learn the skills. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it's going to be a very very long journey of rewrites. I think.
1: You, when you relocated to Australia in the early two um, thousands, and started Aussie Wood and started working um, both. consulting and producing some stuff did that leave much time for your own
2: writing well i've never really written much and and i think that's the the teacher dna inside me you know i i started a second screenplay when i was doing my military service (laughs) in 1989 and i wrote 63 pages and i gave it to my best friend who was my mentor for a long time he's one of the smartest smartest minds on the planet he his name is Chris Kraps, that's his real name. Mm-hmm. And he, he, by the way, he, he wrote a fantastic book, uh, Secrets of the Cinema. Uh, unfortunately, it's in Dutch, but it'll, it'll be translated, I'm sure. And um, so I gave it to him, and he was honest. He was a, the type of friend you need. He said, it's absolute crap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is not a story. You need to start from scratch. And its it was a great example of starting a, a screenplay not knowing where you're going. Yeah, yeah. And, and I heard, <laughs> in fact, after this interview... I'll be working with some students in Sweden and I just uh, uh, I read uh, one of their outlines and the student said how he, he got writer's block after 50 pages. It was exact same case. Yeah. Very inspired to get something out but not thinking about the structure and where you're going beforehand. I, I so can, that can t- totally relate to that, yeah. Yeah, that was me in, a, in, in 1989. Yeah. So it, what I want to say is that I co-write. Yeah. I don't write alone. I co-write because I don't have all the skills it takes. I don't think so. Um, but I, I work very well in a team. Yeah. And um, with the team of the story shop, we wrote Danger Close and we're writing on other projects now. And that's just a dream. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we achieve so much together that none of us would, would have ever achieved uh, in isolation.
1: Yeah. You, br- you bring up Danger Close and that's, that's doing very well now. It's very highly regarded. Um, the story is about the the Long Tan.
2: Um, yeah, the Battle of Long yeah. Tan in August 1966 was the battle in which more Australians yeah. died uh, than any other single battle.
1: And that's the Korean War?
2: Um, this is Vietnam.
1: Oh, it is Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. Right, Long Tan
2: like, Vietnam. Yep. Um, and it, it's a story that um, bizarrely had never been brought to the screen. Really? And some people had tried to write a script for it some so <laughs> people with, with uh, very, you know, uh, how would I say, ringing names in this country, you mm-hmm. know people that, that were no known all the way into Hollywood, and none of these managed to break the story, to crack the story for the screen. And then the producer, Martin Walsh, came to me and he asked if I could do it. I said, well, I can't do it. I can have a look at what you've got now. If you can give me a synopsis and I can give yeah. you advice. He didn't have a synopsis. That was the first red flag. Wow. But he he wrote one overnight. I read a synopsis and I said, "Well, listen, you've got to start from scratch, mm-hmm. and um, I can, you know, find writers for you, or we can do it with the story shop." And we we pitched what we believed could be a, a workable angle, and um, he accepted that. And that was 2011, and we started working on it uh, pretty much straight away. Wow,
1: you mentioned um, your um, service in the military beforehand. Did that help in uh, in cracking a story about like a military campaign?
2: Um, that's a good question. I've actually never thought about that um I was in the military for a year, but I worked as a journalist. I only had like one month of serious training yeah and I think it it helps to understand what the military is you know i I was there and and i I got serious training you know I got mm-hmm. proper weapons training we had to go out you know slept uh you know overnight you know in 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 a hole in the ground and and it was not pleasant. So, you know, you get like a, t- a, f- a taste of how that all works. So maybe intuitively that it contributed, but it's, it's interesting you asked that question. Yeah. I never thought about it. It might have, yeah. That's
1: good. Um, going back to um, when you, you first came out here and you started the story department, um, did that grow out of your work as a consultant and a, and a writer?
2: Yes, absolutely. um Initially, the, the, I had Ozzywood uh, Films, that was a production company, but then I was reinventing myself and uh, I needed a new brand. And um, yeah, because I wanted to fo- focus on story more than script. I think in Australia, mm-hmm. there was this overemphasis on script, on dialogue, on execution. Um, and I think we needed to go back to story, and, and that's. I call it a story department. There is a story department, which is a small coverage service in, in L.A., but I didn't know at the time.
1: Right, okay. And did that cause any problems? No, didn't have to change not at in? all. No. Didn't care? <laughs> no. <laughs> all right, well, um, Dan and I Dan and I have talked a lot about the Accelerator Pod. It's how we met back in 2015. Um, for someone who knows nothing about the Accelerator Pod, how would you describe it to them?
2: Um, it's something that's hard to describe because there's no, nothing like it anywhere else. Consists. I can. You know. Th- this is what it looks like. It's four weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, these weekends are spaced out with about a month or two in between each. In the first weekend, you're going to brainstorm and you're going to do a very rough pitch. Then the second. Then you're going. You're going to workshop uh, on the feedback after you get feedback to that pitch. That's the first weekend. And then the second weekend, you're going to refine that pitch. And you're going to pitch to the industry. It'll still be rough and that's okay. Then you get the opportunity to listen, to get feedback from the industry, and then you can rework and workshop mm-hmm. with that feedback, with industry feedback. And then the second half of the pod, we're going to focus more on the pitching part. In the first two weekends, we focus on the concept and what sort of story you've got to tell. We brainstorm, because it, the, the idea is also to realize that you, you should have more than one idea. A lot mm-hmm. of writers work for way too long on one just one concept one idea yeah. and here we brainstorm several ideas. So the second half of the pod weekend three and four is going to be geared more towards pitching So we do proper pitching training in weekend three and in the meantime the, the concepts keep being refined and in the final weekend you have your what we call the, the final template in which you have, your setup of your character, you have your setting, your theme, you can pitch the plot in a few sentences and then in the final weekend the industry comes back and now you're going to do your proper industry pitch.
1: Well, this is the third accelerated movie pod? Am I correct?
2: We're doing the second television pod. We've had three t- uh, feature pods, that's right, and this is our second TV pod. It's the fifth pod that, are, that I'm participating in.
1: How has it changed over the years?
2: I think we've, we've kind of... Locked into place the core processes, and mm-hmm. um, you remember the first one. You were there. Yeah. it was it was chaotic, and it was a lot of fun. And guess what? It worked. You yeah, know, there was there were a few great projects that came out of it. Reunion was one of them. And um, but it, funnily enough, because it was so chaotic, and we kind of we were we were responding very quickly to how the participants experienced it um it it didn't feel very professional to Mm. me and then we started tinkering and only to realize that some things were actually so good we shouldn't have changed them um so we 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 locked in a certain way of workshopping where you're working workshopping in with a group we locked in the the overall structure of the pod um uh, now, this year, we brought back the, that, I, that insanity, the mania of that early weekend in, in the first part where things went very quick. Yeah. You, know, you had to brainstorm very quickly. You had to pitch very quickly. And, um, and that worked a treat. And we've done it again. We did it uh, earlier this month. And this is really the right way of approaching this. So we brought that back. So I think we've refined it over the, over the years. The workshopping itself, We've got a very tight structure for that, and then the bigger picture of the pod is also has, has also been locked into place. That's good.
1: You mentioned um, the, the projects that came out of the, the pod. I remember um, the uh, seeing recently the one um, project that has gone on to f- being a feature film and has been released in Australia, that being uh, Tony DiCicco's *The Furies*. The what was your role on the on that feature?
2: Well, you know, I was there in the room when uh, Tony uh, f- uh, pitched it for the first time. So in those first uh, pods actually gave feedback mm-hmm. right. Yeah, you know, I immediate, immediately, it was instant, instant yep. feedback. Um, so I was involved in that. Um, then once uh, Tony's project was selected amongst a, f- a few others, I was involved in the reading of every every document. You know, every outline, every synopsis. And then when Tony started punching out scripts, I was also the first to read the script. Mm-hmm. And then I would work with Tony uh, up to the point where I, uh, we both believed it was ready to be shown to uh, the sales agent um, uh, who was attached and the production company. And then I read I read, I read about 16 drafts, I think. Mm.
1: Yeah. yeah, we all do a lot of drafts, yeah. yeah. Um, I remember from the pod you being a, a very big proponent of log lines. Mm. Um, how would you describe log lines and how they're, how important they are to everyone.
2: Mm. A logline is a one sentence summary of your story and the, the reason they're important is if you can give someone your story in one sentence it means you understand what your story is about because yeah. a lot of writers uh, particularly you know uh, emerging writers don't don't really see or understand the structure of stories for the screen that it's very particular and if you understand that you can you can convert that big you know, big picture ID into that sentence. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's why it's important. And uh, I've devised a, f- a particular formula for the logline. Different people have different sorts of loglines. They're all kind of sound similar, but I, I find three elements very important. Obviously character, uh, action, but I also focus on the event, which is the catalyst or the yep. exciting incident. And I, I really want that in, in that logline so we understand where the, where the story kicks off. Um, sometimes you can use it in your pitch you don't have to it's really it's this it's the, the smallest version of your story that at the same time already gives us an idea of what sort of structure is going to play out it's a good way to put it yeah mm.
1: can you is there any log lines that like stick with you that you can think of right now <laughs>
2: um, there's one log line that i I struggled with initially students asking me, what's the logline for incep- Inception? I couldn't give it. Mm. And then at some point, uh, one of my students gave me the perfect logline. Right. And um, so I've actually built uh, on top of that. And that's now probably the most complex logline that I can give you off the top of my head. Uh, it would be a challenge, but shall I give it a go? Go for it. When a dream security expert is given the chance to see his children again, he must overcome the guilt over the death of his wife before he can plant an idea in the mind of the son of a dying business mogul.
1: Wow, that is, that is a mouthful <laughs> isn't it?
2: <laughs> it's probably more than the prescribed 25 words, but yeah. I, I, I'm, over the years I've become a little bit more lenient. As long as it is a, 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 a sentence that makes sense and it, it has that structure... Um, I don't think it's an issue when when they kind of flow over that twenty-five word limit.
1: Yeah, Th- does he overcome the guilt in the
2: movie? Good question. <laughs> yeah,
1: because <laughs> it, it works for a logline, but it's, it's like, uh, is it is a I, I think he does. I think he does at the end of Act Two. Well, with loglines, you've, you've got um, the the logline website. Um, did that grow out of um, you uh, your your consultancy and your um, your teaching and just the idea of just. Perfecting the log line for ah, writers.
2: It's actually it's a fu- this is a funny thing. At the time, I was had a very bizarre obsession. You know, you know what do what does a guy do at n- late at night when he's sitting at his computer and nobody nobody's watching? I was looking at beautiful WordPress themes. Now, WordPress is software yep. for blogging, and so I had a bit of an obsession with WordPress themes. At some point, I saw a WordPress theme that was for Q and A. You know like uh, Q and A's, websites. Yeah. And it was such a beautiful theme. I bought it. <laughs> I had absolutely no use for it. And, the, but at the same time, I also had a bit of an obsession uh, with uh, um, registering domain names. Yeah. And at some point I registered the domain name, logline.it. Yep. Cause you know, I was dealing with loglines. And then, and one day I woke up and I put two and two together. I was like, hang on, I can use that WordPress theme with this domain. And have people post log lines yeah. for feedback. So instead of asking a question, they just post a log line, and then people give feedback, and that's the that's the answer.
1: So without the theme, the website wouldn't have. <laughs>
2: that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. And I said I set up that website in the course of maybe three hours, I did it all by myself, and um, within the year, I think it had like a thousand log lines posted. And, yeah, and, and wow. five thousand reviews or something. We now have twenty over twenty six thousand reviews and over six thousand log lines.
1: And that's helped a lot of writers get to the next step.
2: Well, I hope so. I mm. hope so. Um, it's being used by students, by writers. Uh, I get f- emails every now and then. People who love it and say that it's helpful to them. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy.
1: Oh, that's great. With um with your work with other writers getting their scripts to the next level, um, can you describe that process? Does it is it unique to
2: every single writer? It is. It's it's very hard to to kind of boil it down to a single process. Um, usually I go back, to, I try to go back to the concept. So I try to help the writer building that log line mm-hmm. and see what's the core story. Um, and then I usually, I try to go to a one-pager uh, and from the one-pager we go into further detail. And then, But you know, as you may expect, most writers have a screenplay when they come to me yeah so they want me to read the script um now reading a screenplay takes a lot of time and i live in sydney <laughs> it's an expensive city mm-hmm. so it's it, it costs a lot of money to to have me read a screenplay and spend the time on it that it, that it takes to give good feedback so um and, and I don't think it's always the best investment for, for beginning writers to do that. So I, I basically recommend to to already go back. To, I recommend that they write this one pager from the existing screenplay. And then I give feedback to the one pager. That can be done way, way more cheaply. Mm-hmm. And then we build from there. And then hopefully by the time um, they are uh, ready to rewrite the screenplay, they've actually accepted that because very often people think that they just need to do a quick brush up, a quick yeah. polish, whereas most of the time it's what we call a page one rewrite, a complete uh, rewrite of the screenplay. I
1: imagine in some cases a lot of writers come to you thinking, okay, the screenplay I've written is pretty much perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you're going to pat me on the back and be like, good job. Yeah and you su- to hollywood
2: and usually they prepare you they usually you know there's this warning in the subtext of what they say so they say yeah um, if you could, I was wondering if you could read my script i'm pretty happy with it yeah. but you want to see if there's anything you know that i could uh, that i could uh, improve but you know when somebody says i'm pretty happy with it, it that's kind of like a warning i i will not rewrite the screenplay <laughs> i will not do a page one rewrite
1: mm. has screen story ch- um, telling changed a lot in the last decade
2: it has yeah absolutely um i think television has had a massive impact on features which you know used to be the other way the other way around mm-hmm. um i think we have more flexible point of view uh we have characters that are not always redeemable you know we we now have characters who are not aspirational? You don't want to be like that character. You yeah. know, think night crawl's night fantastic s- uh, screenplay. It's not your typical There's hero. There's really
1: no sympathy for that no, character, is there? No. Yeah.
2: And I think that's uh, that's the sign of the times. Mm. And I think that comes from television. I think we've seen that sort of um, you know antiheroes on the s- on the small screen before they came on masse to the to the big screen.
1: Mm. Has the rise of the cinematic universe has changed it even more?
2: You know, it's something that's kind of happening outside my realm. Yeah. Uh, he, um, I think we've got to be realistic. There's this amazing keynote speech that Mark Duplass did for um, um, the um, South by Southwest mm-hmm. uh, convention. And, and he was basically saying <laughs> that as writers and filmmakers, we shouldn't be deluded. He said, the cavalry is not going to come. You know, mm. the, the, the chances that we are going to be working in Hollywood on that sort of level, budget uh, films, is infinitesimal. It's, yeah. you know, it, it's not going to happen. Um, obviously, there are examples. There is James Wan, who did Aquaman, and there is Taika Waititi, who did Thor. But that's it. You know, mm. I I don't know anyone else from Australia and, and New Zealand that that raised to that sort of level, um, so I'm focusing on what I believe is achievable, and once you get there, I mean you'll make the next leap. Yeah, I don't think, you know, when you, you speak about cinematic universe, that's studio speak. You know, um, that's Marvel DC, that's you know horror franchises. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we can learn from those because people start to think epically and, and in, in those terms. But I do warn people now at the pod. Uh, I would not go to a producer and say, "Listen, I've got a ten-season TV show." Yeah. Uh, you know, in the in the Star Wars universe, I don't think so.
1: We all we all have Star Wars TV shows we want to make.
2: I want to watch them first.
1: <laughs> they're, not, they're not too bad.
2: I hear, I hear. Uh,
1: can I, um, can we, can we? Can we assume from the influence that TV has had on films, um, I, I guess that's kind of where the mentality of the cinematic universe has grown from, that this interconnecting storyline that just goes on and on and gets bigger and bigger as it goes on. Do you think that's something that we're going to continue to see or we'll get to a point where we're just like, okay, Marvel – uh, DC, um, The Conjuring franchise yeah. Um, so, so Marvel, DC, The Conjuring franchise are they going to become you think more the exceptions to the rule or sort of the, the tentpole that everyone's going to aspire to
2: mm. that's a really good question um, I think everything will forever change mm-hmm. I think this is how it works on that level now I don't think we need to worry about it too much um, we're in a very, uh, I mean, the, the, the industry is in a state of flux. I mean, I, I have just returned from AFM and I was shocked to see how quiet it was there. Really? Uh, that, the, that's, the big, that's supposed to be the biggest independent film market in the world. It was a bit scary. You know, two streaming services have launched over the past two weeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's like in the history of mankind, it never happened, right? And it's, and it's pretty massive ones, right? Uh, Apple TV Plus and Disney Plus. So that has a significant impact on our industry. And you, there's nothing you can do about that. But these waters are going to come at some point. And I believe that this one constant, and the constant is good story. Yeah. Now A lot of people say, don't worry, just write a good story. And then I, I, I get a bit nervous when, when people say, well, what is a good story? So I think if, if you make the effort to ask that question, you know what is common to all great story, then you're you you're safe. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter what's happening out there. I mean, games have taken over. From you know, there's, there's way more money now going into games and in into film. Who who would have thought? Yeah. Um, games become more narratively driven, but still the core essence of story is still the same. You know, I'm I'm now playing, finally playing the f- the last ten percent of Red Dead Redemption, mm-hmm. and I'm having so much fun. Why is it? Because it's it's a great story, you yeah. Know, but with with a with a recognizable character in a recognizable universe, with clear uh, tasks, clear events, and 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 clear actions. Yep, is that the sign that we have to? No no that's wrap up that's here. A sign that I don't have to turn my phone off. <laughs> you see my phone is off by default. Yes. I'm a I'm a happy person.
1: You're a professional. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to uh, what you mentioned about James Wan talking talking about Td is it possible for a writer to make a living in Australia now or is it has it become such a even more difficult thing to break into? it?
2: You know it's the answer is the thematic question of a lot of films. What are you prepared to do? Mm. You know, what are you prepared to sacrifice? Yes, it's possible. Of course, it is, but it ain't gonna be easy. You know, um, if you want to have uh, a comfortable lifestyle and a family, um, I think you're gonna be struggling. Yeah. If you're going to dedicate your life to your art, you'll be fine. Um, so yeah, I guess. It depends. I th- I think it's possible, but you're gonna have to make sacrifices, and you may not want to do that.
1: Mm. Is there any advice you'd have for any writers out there that are trying to get their scripts sold and produced? Well,
2: my biggest advice would be more on you know how do you where do you see your life going, and what are, and again you know the, that thematic question. What yeah. are you prepared to do? What are you prepared to sacrifice? You need to know that, uh, and and otherwise you can be profoundly frustrated if you find out. Uh, about the reality of the industry so do your research i think that's that's probably a a good piece of advice do your research don't just sit at your desk trying to write that story because once it's finished it needs to go somewhere so try to get a feel for how the industry works and um if you choose a life in the arts um you will have to organize your life around that yeah it doesn't work the other way around i don't think so
1: what, does a run and need an agent to sell a script these days? Um, or is it something they can do on their own?
2: Well, are? you know, the, this is probably the biggest misunderstanding in our industry. Agents don't get you work. You mm-hmm. know, you get yourself work. Yeah, The agent does the deal. You know, once there's a deal that needs to be negotiated, the agent will happily do that for you and take 15%. Uh, but the agent is not going to bring you work. That's yeah. not how it works. Mm.
1: Is it? Is it getting... Is getting Hollywood's attention something that's um, impossible now for an emerging Australian writer, or can it be done?
2: Um, I have one good friend, he's Australian, lives in, in L.A. Uh, he's tried to come back and, li- and live in Australia. He couldn't do it anymore. You know? So it's actually easier to survive there as a writer than it is here. Because
1: Australia being as small as it is. Yeah, and because
2: there's a lot more work over there and they pay so much better. Yeah. When we say Hollywood, obviously we, we just say, uh, you know, it's America, it's L.A. Uh, the, the Hollywood Studios, that's a whole different ball game.
1: Looking back on your career, um, you've had th- three, probably close to four decades now of a career. Can you name uh, a single proudest moment? Last week? Last week?
2: Last week, uh, probably the best week <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, in, in LA, doing with my mates of the story shop what I would want to do uh, 52 weeks of the year. Yeah, I did it for one week. We celebrated the release, the US release of Danger Close, uh, which means that now apparently I can become a member of the WGA, the Writers Guild of America. There you go. Um, we went to the, uh, the American film market pitching our new projects and we worked very hard every day on our new projects. So getting up, getting up early and just do the work and then have a few meetings and, and celebrate at night. That's, that was fantastic and, and I was very proud that we made it to that point.
1: That is awesome. So what, what is next for you?
2: We'll see. I'm, I'm not the type of guy who reads uh, the seven habits of highly effective people and then sets out a plan for the mm-hmm. next year, the next five years, the next 10 years. I'm much more open for whatever opportunity comes to me. And that's worked really well. It takes less energy, you know. You just every day I choose what you know. What are the options, and what shall I do? So, what's next? I don't know. I mean, we're. we're I hear that we're going to do the pod in New Zealand next year. So we're going to do a full accelerator pod in New Zealand. So I look forward to that. Um, I'm also looking forward to having my uh, mates of the Story Shop in Sydney a few times next year, so we can accelerate that work. Um, And yeah. This, that, that's about it I mean I don't make uh, big plans no no. I hope they come to me
1: so if someone was wanting to get in touch with you or find out some more information about what you do uh, where, the, where can they get in touch with you
2: well just google my name you'll find one of the you know I'm, I'm on Facebook uh, there's the store department you'll find a way of contacting me just spell my name correctly <laughs> and you'll find me my name is Carol, K-A-R-E-L Segers S-E-G-E-R-S
1: and we'll find you just like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Well, thank you very much for coming in and giving us some time. Absolute
2: really pleasure. It. it was much cooler inside than outside. Oh, tell me about <laughs> it.
0: <laughs> and it's always a pleasure
1: to see you, Karel. Thank thanks you awesome. a lot,
0: mate.
2: Pleasure. Bye.
0: Once more, a big thanks to Karel for taking time out of his busy schedule to speak with Russell. If you want to sharpen your skills as a screenwriter or take your career to the next level, sign up for Karel's acclaimed immersion screenwriting course. There's no better way of mastering your craft than by doing. And that's what immersion screenwriting will do for you. There are multiple versions of the course, including the Big Boys Platinum version that runs for six months, or the standard version that runs for 50 days. You can take the standard version to learn writing for feature film or television for just 99 US dollars, but as a special gift to listeners of Film Rhapsody, Corel is offering a 50% discount. Just enter the code PODCAST50 at the checkout, and you can begin your writing journey today. You can find the course at httpscreenwriting.courses or for more information, email corel at k at tsd.im. And that's all for this episode. Next week, Russell and I speak with producer Masudvar Johani, the visionary behind the Spacefaring Civilization Project and one of the producers on our award-winning short film, The Man in the Moon. I'm Dan Sanguinetti and this is Film Rhapsody.
1: Film Rhapsody is produced by Dan Sanguinetti and Russell Lee for Sanguinetti Media. Head to sanguinettimedia.com.au to subscribe to all our episodes. Oh, I didn't record it.